We're going to turn to our Bible reading now, uh, and we're reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 22. That's Luke 4, 14 to 22, and Alice is going to read our Bible reading for us this morning. Alice. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 22. Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as it was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery for the sight of the blind, to set oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Alice, that was great. Thank you so much. And uh, Gary and Priscilla as well, we appreciate uh, being, able to, being able to remember that we are a church that celebrates every member ministry. And uh, even though we're not together, every one of us gets to play a part in this story that God is telling in our world. Um, so yeah, that's wonderful. Let's take a moment and pray. And then we're going to look at these words that Uh, Luke has recorded that Alice read for us this morning. Let's pray together now. Father, we love your word. Sometimes it's difficult to read and sometimes we make it difficult to read. But we thank you that every time we sit with an open Bible, every time we hear your words read, you are present and you are speaking. And so wherever we are today, However our week has been, whether we're on our own or we're with our family, give us that real sense of your presence. Help us to hear your voice and speak right into our lives. And help us to hear and to process and to obey what you would say to us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There, you're like me. There are lots of things that we're missing. We're missing going for a good cup of coffee. We're missing getting to talk to family face to face. We're missing that Chinese takeaway on a Saturday. Well, I'm not sure I am, but some of you are missing that Chinese takeaway on a Saturday night. We're missing being in church together. And guys, it's as great as technology is, it's weird standing here on a Sunday morning and the building is empty. It's weird. We're missing things. There's things we have lost in this season. There's no question about that. But there are some things we've gained. There are some things that 
that maybe are just a little bit better in this moment as well, and we want to acknowledge that too. One of the things that I've been really grateful for over the past few weeks is that stories with my kids, and they're old enough now that they can read to me as well as me reading to them, but stories with my kids at the end of the day can be read and not rushed can be lingered over and not having to be lunged through in a rush to get out to the next meeting. And so we've been spending loads of time reading books together. It's the class. And one of the stories we've read is uh, Harry Potter, the, the first in the Harry Potter series, The Philosopher's Stone. I'm a big Harry Potter fan, and I'm loving the fact that my kids are starting to, to catch the bug as well. But as we finished that book off this week, it, it made me remember, it made me think about uh, a fact that I heard a few years ago that J.K. Rowling, who's the author of the Harry Potter series, um, when she had first written the first draft of the manuscript, she sent it to a whole bunch of different publishers around the world, and, and she kept getting rejection letter back, rejection letter back. They read her book and said, nobody wants to read this. Even publishing houses uh, near her home in London said, no, we're not going to publish this. They, they failed to recognize what was right in front of them. I bet they're kicking themselves now. But sometimes we do that. We fail to recognize the beauty and the truth of the thing that is right in front of us. Like in this story that Alice has read for us, you know, we, we can look at it and think, that's unreal. How on earth? Can Jesus walk into his hometown in Galilee and walk into his home church or his home synagogue and the people there fail to recognize that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah? You would think if he walked into church today, you would recognize him, wouldn't you? And yet Jesus, after preaching this sermon, he says, a prophet is not accepted in his own town. People didn't recognize who he was, didn't recognize his authority, didn't recognize that he was the Messiah. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing this sermon and thinking, we as a church have been longing for awakening and praying for awakening and fasting and, and just crying out to God for family and friends and people right across this island to give their lives to Jesus. And yet the reality is today in Northern Ireland, Thousands, tens of thousands of people don't know Jesus. They don't recognize Jesus. And it's heartbreaking. And you wonder why it is. Gandhi, he wasn't a Christian, but he said some really cool things. Uh, one of the things he said was, I, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Isn't that really sad? That when people who aren't Christians look at the church, they don't see Jesus. They see hypocrisy and they see mistakes and they see anger and they see unforgiveness. That's what Gandhi was getting at. I wonder when people in Northern Ireland look at us in Orangefield or whatever church it is, what do they see and do they see Jesus? N.T. Wright, a biblical scholar, New Testament scholar up in St. Andrews, he wrote in one of his recent books that, that people today in the West, they, you know, they're open to a belief in God and they're open to a belief in a spirit and the supernatural, but, but they reject Jesus, which is really interesting. 
They reject Jesus' claim to be unique. They see it as exclusive. They see it as arrogant. They see it as intolerant. That Jesus is the only way to get to God. They struggle with that. I, I can't help but wonder in Northern Ireland, is it just the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt? That people in this country, they, they know the stories of Jesus, but they don't know the person of Jesus. They know about him, but they have fe- they've rejected him. They've not recognized him because they've never taken time to get to know the risen Christ. It's interesting. It's worth a conversation, either in your home group or with your, with your family or your friends this week. Why do people struggle to see Jesus for who he is? This, this gospel account is written by, by Dr. Luke. He was a physician, and I, I love the way he lays things out. He's researched things really well. And one of the things that Luke does, he has this particular focus on the Holy Spirit right throughout his gospel of Luke and into his book of Acts, which he also wrote. He has this really particular focus on the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're only four chapters into his gospel here in Luke, but already, um, how many times has he mentioned the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit was there at Jesus' conception. The Holy Spirit was there anointing John the Baptist in his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit was anointing the prophet Simeon, the prophet Anna in the temple as they were waiting and praying for Jesus to come. The Holy Spirit descended in a dove onto Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for his temptation and led him out of it again. And right throughout the gospel and into Acts where we see the Holy Spirit poured out onto the church, onto all of God's followers, onto you and onto me as we give our lives to follow Jesus. Dr. Luke is very focused and very concerned on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I think it's really interesting. And here in this text, that's exactly the case. Jesus returns to Galilee. It's where he grew up. It's where he he kicked football with his mates and rode a bike or maybe a donkey. That's probably what they did 2,000 years ago. Um, but, But the people knew him as Mary and Joseph's son, but they didn't recognize him as the Messiah, as the Christ. He returns to Galilee, Luke says, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, for years I read that. I thought, what does that mean? Is that like a Wayne's World reference? This is going to lose most of you, I apologize. But have you ever seen Wayne's World? They, they travel about through, through moments in time by going... Um, and if you don't get that at all, just go and um, Google it and look it up. But uh, Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Was that like a do-do-do-do, and he just magically appeared? Uh, no, it's not that at all. Jesus has been in the wilderness. He returns from the wilderness. He's been there for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been fasting. He's been praying. He's been practicing spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude. He has been soaking in God's presence for 40 days. And the result is that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is so heavily upon his life. He returns in the power of the Spirit, is not referring to his mode of travel, but is referring to the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on Jesus' life. 
If you were with us last week, Gary was talking about that text, about the wilderness times, and he was making comment that we are now living in a wilderness season. Our normal life has ceased to exist. We are living in this lockdown corona society. It is a wilderness moment. And just like Jesus, Gary was calling us back to solitude and prayer and spiritual disciplines and time alone with Jesus. It's so important. Jesus returns to his hometown after this time in the wilderness, and he has got a reputation already as a rabbi, as a teacher. And so when he comes to his hometown, to his own synagogue, the tradition is if there is a rabbi there, they get to preach the sermon. So Jesus is invited to come and stand at the front, just like I'm doing. There was more people in the building that day, I'm assuming, than there is now. And he stands up and he's handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And this was a bit of parchment that was rolled up and he unrolled it and unrolled and there was just feet upon feet of this stuff. And he unrolled it and he came to what we call Isaiah 61 and he started to read. And he read the Spirit's of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a passage. What an amazing... We could spend weeks in this passage. We're not going to, but we could spend weeks in this passage. Um, Isaiah spoke it, first of all, years and years before the prophet Isaiah uh, spoke these words. And he was talking about himself. The Spirit of God is on me as a prophet, Isaiah said. And he was talking to the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. What was going on, the, the Assyrian Empire had invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, had carried them into exile. Babylon was rising up as a world power and was about to invade Jerusalem and carry God's people into exile in Babylon. And Isaiah spoke these words as words of encouragement and words of hope to a people who were about to be carried into exile. These words were preparation for their heart and their lives. And, and then that all happened, and God's people spent years in exile, and then they were freed from that. They came back to Jerusalem, they rebuilt the city and the temple, and for the next 600 years, the nation of Israel understood these words to be about themselves. They were God's chosen people. The Spirit of God was on them as a nation. These words spoke of their identity, and their mission. This was the stuff that God wanted them to do. And then something began to shift in the mindset of the people. Tell me, do you like jigsaws? I know some of you do. You talk about them to me. Um, I, I, I don't geek out on jigsaws, but uh, I enjoy doing them with my kids. Um, but just after World War II, one of the most amazing jigsaw puzzles in the world was discovered, an ancient one. It was in the West Bank, and this teenage boy who was a shepherd called Muhammad was looking for his lost sheep. I love the visuals of that, this shepherd boy looking for his lost sheep. But he was out stumbling about through, through the area, through the wilderness, and he, he stumbled into a cave. 
And in the cave, he found these clay pots that were 2,000 years old. And inside the clay pots were these tiny, tiny little scraps of parchment. Um, and for, for years and years that followed, scholars started to piece these little bits of parchment back together, the world's most complicated jigsaw puzzle. And as they put them together, they, they named them what we call now the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what they are, they're some of the earliest copies of Bible manuscripts that we have. And not just the manuscripts, but the interpretations and the teachings that flowed from these manuscripts from 2,000 years ago. And one of the things that was revealed was that in, in the book of Isaiah, the second part of the book of Isaiah, and particularly in around Isaiah 61 and the surrounding chapters, they were beginning to be understood in a different way in a messianic way. Um, that The people of Israel were starting to realize they couldn't save themselves, and so they needed somebody to come from God, a Messiah, a Savior, a rescuer, to come and deliver them. And so in 30 AD, Jesus walks into the synagogue, his home synagogue. He reads aloud from Isaiah 61, and then he proclaims, guys, this is actually about me. This is actually about me. What he says literally is, um, today these words have been fulfilled in your presence, in your hearing. And and what's, what's important to get here is these words aren't just revelation about who Jesus is. When Jesus says this, it's also a critique about who Israel has failed to be. That's why they're so annoyed. They're not annoyed at what they see as his arrogance. They're annoyed that he's condemning them. He's, he's pointing the finger at them. He's saying, you failed to do this stuff and God has sent me to do this stuff. I wonder how you feel when, when people point out your feelings, when people show you your blind spots. Do you get defensive? Do you get annoyed? Or do you welcome the criticism and do some... Uh, introspection in yourself. Something to think about. But Jesus said to them that day, I am the Lord's anointed. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the one who has come to bring hope to the hopeless, proclaiming good news to the poor, proclaiming that word's important. I am the one who is the healer proclaiming recovery of sight for the blind. I am the one who has come to bring forgiveness and bring freedom. Again, that word, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor for all who believe. Let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, and I mean like probably four years old, I was tiny. Um, You know, the age when you don't know any better. And I was at my, my grandparents' house, and my, my nanny had, had visitors over. They were quite important visitors. And she put this spread on, and she was just feeding all the adults. And I came into the kitchen as a four-year-old boy. I said, nanny, nanny, can, can I have a sandwich? And she said to me, Gareth, just, just wait till everybody eats, and then I'll make you a plate, and you can go and eat it and watch TV. I was like, okay, and walked off. But came back in a couple of minutes later, nanny, I really want a sandwich. I really want a sandwich. Nanny said, oh, Gareth, just, just wait. It'll be okay. Just wait. Uh, I'll get it for you in a minute. I went off again. I came back a third time. I said, Nanny, give me a bleep. 
sandwich, and it'll allow you to insert the expletive of your choice there, because obviously, as a Presbyterian minister, I couldn't possibly tell you what that word was. Um, she, she was mortified, and, and she just gave me the whole tray of sandwiches, I think, but um, what I want you to see is that words are important. Words have the power to shape our reality, and that day when I used that word in front of my, my grandparents and my parents, I guarantee you my reality was altered and not in a good way. Um, But that's a whole different story. When we come out of lockdown, I'll tell you about it. But words have the power to shape our reality. We see that here in Northern Ireland. The words, stay home, save lives, four words, have have literally um, helped our NHS service not be overrun, have literally kept the number of infections and the number of deaths in that predicted curve down and down and down. Words have the power to shape our reality. And no words are more powerful than the words of Jesus. Jesus' words literally shape reality. He speaks and then it becomes, let there be light and there was instantly light. That's what we're told in Genesis. The Word of God, the living Word of God formed and shaped reality. And then we're told in John's Gospel that the Word of God became flesh and blood and came amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ. Our our text today is Luke 4, but when you go into Luke 5, you see a story where this guy who has been paralyzed is brought to Jesus. And Jesus speaks words over him. He says, you are forgiven. You are healed. And Jesus' words, Jesus' proclamation literally shapes that guy's reality. He stands up and he walks home. His heart is healed and forgiven. His body is healed. Jesus' words shape his reality. And this morning... I want you to see that, but more than see it, I want you to get that. Jesus' words have the power to shape reality. And some of you, this week particularly, need to receive those words from Jesus. You need to allow Jesus' words to shape your reality. Words about forgiveness. We've been locked down for, for about six weeks now. It's not easy. It's not easy. But what we're finding is some people are just getting more irritable. And and maybe this week you've been unkind to the people you live with. You've spoken words in anger and frustration that you didn't really mean. Maybe you find your heart becoming more selfish and closed in. Maybe this time on your own has, has just done things to your mental health and feelings of shame and regret and and not liking yourself very much, have all risen up within you. I want you to know that Jesus wants to forgive you. All you have to do is ask him. All you have to do is to receive his words of forgiveness, his promise of forgiveness into your life. It's something we should be doing every day. But maybe you've never done that. Maybe Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to see that he is the savior of the world, your savior, that he is the answer to the the struggles in your life. He is the one who's going to give you eternal life. 
And today you need to pray a prayer and ask him to come into your life and to forgive you. And in a few moments, I'm going to give you the chance to do just that. Some of you need to receive words of forgiveness. Some of you need to receive words of healing. You're struggling in your own health and you're fearful about it. And, and right now, just right now, I want to pray for you. The disciples prayed in Jesus' name. And Jesus' words shaped their reality. So if you're struggling this morning or, or you know somebody struggling this morning, just, just picture them in your mind. Or picture the, the, the part of your body that you're struggling with. I'd love to pray with you now. And very simply, I want to pray in Jesus' name. Be healed. Very simply, the words that Jesus himself prayed, in Jesus' name, be healed. Receive that now. Some of you need to receive hope this morning. Jesus wants to give you hope. I want to speak his words right into your living room today. I want you to receive them because I believe he wants you to receive them. Peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Jesus says to you now, receive his peace. Allow his peace to shape your mind, your heart, your experience in these days. We live in a world where increasingly people have been failing to recognize Jesus. And, and yet in this moment, in this moment, and it's not going to last forever, guys, but in this moment, the myth of secular salvation has been deconstructed. For years, people have been trying to save themselves with progress and, and education and, and advancement in their careers and more money and consumption. And, and we've bought into this lie, this myth of secular salvation, that these things will, will make us fulfilled and make us happy and will save us. But what we've seen in the last six weeks is that a little virus has deconstructed all of that and we've realized just how fragile we are. Christians and non-Christians alike have realized the fragility of our human lives on this planet. And if we are truly desperate to see awakening, if we, we truly want to see the people in our families, the people who live on our streets, people we work with, recognize and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. The church, and by that I mean you, and by that I mean me, in this moment, we must be willing to adopt the practices of Jesus. And we must be willing to embody the words of Jesus. If, if we desperately want to see awakening at this time, we must be willing to adopt the practices of Jesus. Silence and solitude and prayer and fasting. Allowing the, the character of Jesus to form within us. Allowing the Holy Spirit to form the fruit of the Spirit within us. It happens with open Bibles. It happens in quietness. It happens in prayer. And I want to ask you, what change is God asking you to make to your devotional rhythms to allow you to go deeper with him as you adopt the practices of Jesus in this moment and carry them forward for the rest of your life. We need to be willing to adopt the practices of Jesus and we need to be willing to embody the words 
of Jesus. When the world looks at the church, when the world looks at you, when the world looks at me, what do they see? Do they see Gareth or do they see Christ in me? Do they see you or do they see Christ in you? So let me ask you, Jesus is the one who gave his life on the cross to forgive the sins of the world. It cost him more than it will ever cost you or me. Who do you need to forgive today? Not in six months, not in six years. Who do you need to forgive today? I heard a wonderful story this week about a family who, who haven't had contact for over 20 years being reconciled through a phone call. Isn't that amazing? Who do you need to forgive today? This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to allow the, the words of Jesus to embody and shape your life. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to pray healing over today? Is there somebody you know that's really struggling with their health and mental health? This is your moment to phone them and just offer to pray with them. And if they say no, that's okay. But if they say yes, just pray for peace and pray for comfort and pray that in Jesus' name they will be healed. Who do you need to release generosity over? God gave his everything for us and we are being formed into his image. Who do we need to release generosity over today? And then finally, who do we need to release hope over today? And, and this is what it could look like. It could look like what Priscilla was talking about, picking up the phone and saying to somebody, listen, God's led you on my heart. I know we don't really know each other very well, but God's led you on my heart. And I just want you to know that you are loved and that you are not on your own and that I'm praying for you. Let's pray right now. Jesus stood up in the, the synagogue that day and, and spoke this truth that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was upon him. And then as we read through Luke's writing, we see in Pentecost that same Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, on God's people, on you and on me. So as we pray, let me pray these words over you now. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon you. He has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free. He has sent you to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Lord, we are powerless to do those things until we remember that, Jesus, you live in us. Your Spirit lives in us. So I pray for your people this morning. Bring them deeper into relationship and dependence upon you. May they increase, may we sorry, may we, we decrease so you may increase in our lives. And may we embody 
your words, Lord, living them out, speaking them out every day. And may we see your kingdom come and your will being done as people realize that they cannot save themselves and they need to turn to you. Use us, Lord. Send us, we pray. And if you're here this morning, tuning into this service and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never prayed that salvation prayer and and this morning you think, you know, I need to get myself right with God. Everything I've tried to save myself with has, has fallen away, has been deconstructed. I'm fearful, I'm lonely, I'm full of shame and remorse. I want to know forgiveness. I want to know peace. I want to know eternal life. Well then, pray with me now. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose again. And so I turn to you now. Forgive me of my sins. Send your spirit into my life and shape me and form me so that I may have eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.